because in the UK, if it snows at all, then the entire country shuts down because we don't know what to do. This might be controversial, but if you read Lord of the Rings, it is written awfully. I couldn't find any more work for a while after that. When we were doing our, our little pre-talk beforehand, I said you work in film, and you were very quick to correct me, you work in television. So, yeah, I mean, they are very much, they're similar jobs, but that you go into it thinking, right, I want to work in film, so you focus on finding film-related roles, or I want to work in television, so you go into working television. Hello and welcome to Behind the Streamer, where we take a look at the smaller side of Twitch and learn a bit what it's like to make content as a hobby, as well as the people behind the streams themselves. Today, we are joined by our special guest, Wildebeest Plays. How are you doing, dude? I'm doing really well. Thanks so much for having me. So, today we'll be touching a bit on our streamer's content, just to familiarize ourselves with uh, his content format and all that. Then we're going to move into some personal questions, and then finally at the end we're going to dive back into his channel a little bit deeper, um, so we can get into some more specifics about Twitch there. So, first off, to start out, what is your name to your comfort level? Uh, I'm happy to give my full name, to be honest with you, because I've shown it enough to people. Uh, my name is Sam Wilder. Wilder, and that's actually where your uh, pseudonym comes from, right? Yeah, so it comes from, uh, I've, for pretty much as long as I have had internet screen names, I always used to be Wilderbeast with the threes instead of the two E's. Uh, but then when I started Twitch, I kind of thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to remove the R because I don't necessarily want my last name on the internet. So I removed it and just changed it to Wildebeest. But, yeah. you know, I'm not really too fussed about people knowing the full name anymore. Yeah, that came back full circle, didn't it? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so just to help our audience familiarize, ourselves, familiarize themselves with you, what kind of content do you usually stream? Uh, I am primarily focused on Nintendo-based heavy content, being a very avid Nintendo fan for pretty much my entire life. Uh, but I have a very, very heavy focus on Super Mario Maker 2. Okay, game I'm uh, quite familiar yeah. with myself. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I met you through Mario Maker 2, really, didn't I? Um, Absolutely. But yeah, it's very much a... I just think it's a great game because it's a very community-driven game and the community itself there is really good and very accepting very quickly. So it, you know, really helped me build confidence up streaming. Uh, and, you know, a lot of like-minded people, those who tend to like Super Mario Maker tend to like most other things Nintendo. So, you know, I found a good, good crowd there, I'd say. Yeah, no, I actually can reciprocate that about the... Uh... The community around that game is very nice, very uh, open arms to new players and new content creators. Um, so yeah, we're actually going to dive into the Mario Maker and Nintendo-specific stuff towards the later segment as well, but I do have one final introductory question, which is, what is your drink of choice for our sit-down today? My drink of choice? I'm actually drinking a cup of tea. Cup of tea. <laughs> Um, uh, being very British in myself. <laughs> Not your traditional British tea, though. I have a chamomile tea with a bit of honey. Is uh, it? It's, yeah, it's a bit late where I am. I figured if I had a cup of tea, it's got caffeine in it, and I will never sleep. Oh, chamomile nice doesn't, have, tea. doesn't have caffeine in it? Yeah, it's just a nice little herbal tea. Huh, I did not know that. Yeah. 
I don't. No, I don't no, drink tea. So it's nasty. Well, hopefully, but... help me sleep later. But you know, yeah. I do like a chamomile before bed every time. Every every now and then. Awesome. Okay, so let's uh, let's dive into a little bit about uh, your personal history here. So, what kind of uh, area did you grow up in? Uh, so I grew up in the south of England. I'm from the UK. If none of you could have guessed, uh, of course, <laughs> uh, from the UK, British as they come, I would say. Uh, yeah, I'm from the south of England. So I grew up in the area known as the New Forest, which uh, is quite expansive over the southwest and the southeast of uh, the UK. Uh, you know, just woodlands for miles and miles around with loads of tiny little villages hidden around it and you know uh yeah a few slightly bigger cities here and there but yeah just generally village british village life where not too many people live there you go to schools where you know there's only about four or five hundred people at the school and that's it and if that if that maybe two three hundred you know um very quite small yeah, very quaint, very quiet. Like, you know, you go to your back garden and then the forest is behind it. So great for things like dog walking and all of these lovely things. And yeah, it was a really nice place to grow up, actually. It's very different to say where I am now living in the city. Like, I'd say I'm very much a country boy compared to like a city person. Do, do you live in a major city? Uh, currently, I live in London. Um, oh, okay. I, um, yeah, so currently living in sort of the northern part of London. I've been in North London for about four or five years now, best part of five years. Um, in London itself for about seven years or so. Uh, it's very different to where I grew up. Um, I mean, I grew up in, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not opposed to saying so, I grew up in the Southampton Salisbury area down south. So Salisbury is known for, you know, Stonehenge, the uh, big Ooh. stones that we have here. Yeah, I've so, always wanted to see it. Yeah, Stonehenge. I mean, <laughs> once you've been there a few times, it's a bit boring. But, oh, I'm, um, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is just a few stones just stacked there. But you know, it's a nice way to say <laughs> whereabouts we are and where we're from. And you know, it is a city or classed as a city because it's got a cathedral. Uh, so I spent the majority of you know my teen life and young adult life growing up there. With a lot of friends but it's one of those areas where you know it's a city but everyone knows everyone so you know you if you if you just go out in town like shopping you will always bump into people that you know even now going back there like 12 years later oh, i will wow. always see someone i know uh what would you say is like the estimated population in that area then Salisbury is I mean I could tell you really quickly if you wanted I think Salisbury I mean you know what by all means yeah let's, let's yeah get I it. mean Salisbury population is we are 45,000 people oh yeah that is so, quite small yeah yeah pretty small pretty small um but you know we get a lot of tourism in the area um it's quite sad you know I grew up there and spent so much of my life there but we don't have none of my parents have houses there or anything anymore uh so I haven't actually been back to Salisbury in about three or four years, but, you know, it was a great place to grow up. Um, just great friends made there, most of which have actually moved to London as well. It's one of those places where with Salisbury, you either stay in Salisbury forever or you manage to get out. And as great <laughs> as it is to live, live there, a lot of us were like, we need to leave Salisbury. 
That and it's funny. That's how, that's how my city is, but it. I don't know if if your city was the same way, but ours has a way of like latching on and pulling people back in. Yeah, it very much seems to be that way. I mean, my sister, uh, she just moved back to Salisbury with her uh, fiance, so I will be seeing it a fair bit going forward. I'm sure, uh, which is nice. It's nice, but you know, I I wouldn't live there again where I am at in my life right now. Okay. Um. So still, because I feel like we're getting into current right here, and I might actually ask you a couple of questions about your city or uh, current Sorry, spot sure. here in a second. No, 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 you're fine. I just didn't want to lose complete track and, and uh, overrun the next section. But um, so on your on your history a little bit more, um, let's let's go ahead and move on to how was your household structure with like your family and all that, and uh, as well, do you think that it affected where you are now in life? Which I'm, I'm sure it did, uh, but like, how do you think so? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question, really. So um, my parents, um, they are separated now, and they've been separated for the best part of my life. So I'm 30 now, and they split up when I was about 11 years old. So about 19 years, they haven't been together now. Um, I mean, it was a very happy childhood, and it was a very amicable breakup on both of their parts. Um, It all, you know, stemmed down to my dad traveled a lot with work and, you know, just not seeing my mother as much anymore, I guess, Uh, kind of, you know, they drifted apart. Simple as that, really. Uh, So that happened when I was about 11 years old or so. So, uh, yeah, we had a great childhood. We had a fantastic childhood. We moved around a lot. I was born in Southampton. We moved, you know, we always lived around village areas around there, as I said, in the New Forest, as I mentioned. Uh, when I was five years old, I think it was, we actually moved to Arizona, to the United States, uh, and lived there for two years. So I came back when I was seven, seven and a half, and, you know, it was very, very different out there, as you can imagine. Oh, I uh, moving, can, yeah. Moving from the forest to a desert. Um yeah, I found life out in the States quite fascinating, really, and it did have a big impact on me in general. Like, I do, even to this day, I think I do have quite a few Americanisms. But it was really funny, like, you know, when I moved out to the States, at school, I was that British kid. You know, the kid <laughs> with the British accent and yeah. everything. But I was so young, I picked up the American accent. So when I came back to the UK, I was that American kid at school. Oh, no. Was, the worst yeah. of both worlds. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it was just a fascinating, like, culture shock. Because, you know, my mum didn't work when we lived out in the States. So it was fine for her. But, you know, where it's Arizona, it got to certain times when the temperatures would reach, you know, too hot the school would just decide oh it's too hot to work today so everyone can go home and then they called everyone's parents and everyone's parents picked them up (laughs) like like early like you'd leave at lunchtime it was bizarre like you would never do anything like that over here being in michigan in one of the northern states we actually had the opposite occasionally where they will call cold days um oh wow they will shut down they won't just shut down schools actually uh and on more than one occasion here in wisconsin where i lived as well they've shut down the whole city just due to cold or snow like cold snaps and whatnot so i mean we we do in the uk get occasionally we occasionally get like snow days if it's snowing because in the uk if it snows at all then the entire country shuts down because we don't know what to do (laughs) um 
but that's a more extreme <laughs> case because we rarely do get snow here. Um, um, I did have, yeah. I'd have a follow-up to this, actually. What are some Americanisms you say you picked up? I'm curious about that. Um, I think it's just, you know, I do say garbage quite a lot. It's just a few words oh, here okay. and there. Garbage, you know, sidewalk instead of pavement. Um, well, the sidewalk just, is made just... out of pavement, so... Well, I don't know. We just don't say the sidewalk <laughs> over here, but... <laughs> Yeah, I think I've lost a lot of them now, but it is just more smaller, little nuances. I couldn't tell you all of them myself. It's more, I will say something and people just say, don't you mean this? And I'm like, oh, maybe I do. I don't uh, know. I have the ultimate test, though. Where do you park your car? Oh, in, in, in my driveway? No, okay, like in an inside structure. Uh, my garage. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. You're you're it's... totally back on you. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's garage. <laughs> it's also the boot of a car, not a trunk. It's a trunk. It is not. Trunk. <laughs> yeah. But me and you had this conversation at length. Many times I was gonna say it's, it's a little off form for the the podcast, but we used to do this on stream all the time. This is actually so so fun. Yeah, we just uh, compare our American and British <laughs> slang and argue constantly. It's oh, good fun. I miss it. It is good fun. Uh, okay sorry getting getting back on track there my bad um did you have any pets growing up uh i did so quite a lot actually um Ooh. we had a dog a golden retriever called annie she they got her when i think i was six months old so i kind of grew up my entire known life with her uh, we then actually rescued a American toy poodle when we lived in the States, a little, little thing called Susie, who had uh, ran away and escaped from her home and turned up on our neighbor's doorstep with her leg in a cast. Like, I find oh this my. bizarre. Um, turned out the local vet found her with a broken leg, put a cast on her and sorted it out, and then just let her go again on the streets. Wow. Which I find bizarre. But, you know, I guess it was in the 90s. It was a different time. So maybe they didn't. I, I don't know. I don't know. But um, they, they passed her on to us. And my dad was just calling around, like, everywhere from the local phone directory and eventually found the owners. And it turned out that her, who she belonged to, the it was like the mother of a couple. She had passed away, an older lady. And uh, the family kind of didn't really want her and were sadly quite abusive to her, which caused her to run away. So she was very like a very reserved dog. She was lovely at times when she wanted to, but one of the most reserved animals I've ever met, like really very untrusting of a lot of people. But what we can say is, you know, we gave her a happy warming home for 10, 12 years. I think it was that we had her in the end. Um, oh, then otherwise we had a couple of other dogs Jake, another black Labrador. William, another black Labrador. Uh, we've got so many dogs in the family. My dad's got one called Pippa and another one called Peggy. Uh, my brother and sister have dogs. Uh, we've had a lot of cats growing up as well. To name a few, we've had Thomas, Rupert, Benson, Nettle, Fitz, uh, Cookie, Shea, and oh, Flick. 
Flick, that was her name. Uh, these are all just family pets growing up. Like, and, and, and I'm not even talking about the uh, rabbits and the mice and the hamsters <laughs> and the fish. And the, yeah, there is more. The rabbits, the hamsters, the fish, the guinea pigs. Like, we have had a lot. We are very much an animal-loving household. Uh, I mean, and that's super yeah. awesome especially that you you rescued that dog like that that's a it's a very bittersweet story in a way i mean sweet in the sense that you were able to give it a nice end to its life but bitter that you had to do that anyway you know yeah see they let me name her me six-year-old they let me name her and <laughs> i originally called her bodgy uh until we found out that her name was Susie, and i do not know where the name bodgy came from <laughs> But apparently, when I was a kid, I just really wanted a dog called Bodgy. Is that, is that even a word? I don't know. I think it was spelled <laughs> B-O-D-G-I-E. Bodgy. That's a good, good spelling for a six-year-old. Oh, I've always <laughs> been quite articulate. Um, but that's awesome. That's, that's a lot of pets. I thought I had a bunch growing up with like, you know, three, four we, dogs or something. Lot. I have two cats now. Had a, had another one last year as well, but... That's, that's, that's definitely a lot of pets. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the sad thing with the cats is I think a couple were just before I was born, but my brother and, uh, well, they were there maybe when I was a very, very young child. But, like, I think Thomas ran away because my brother and sister, when they were kids, like, liked to pull his tail, bless him. So he was like, um, I've had enough of this, and he, he decided to leave. Uh, but then others were like, so we got when we were about 11, 12, maybe 10, maybe I was 10. So about 20 years ago, we got Cookie, Flick and Shear. They were three ginger cats. They were uh, absolutely lovely, lovely animals. They were all brothers and sisters. We got them at the same time. One was for my brother, one was for my sister, one was for me. I had Cookie. Cookie was mine, the boy of the family, big, big, fluffy guy. But unfortunately, we lived on a main road. Oh, no. And they probably, all in all, none of them made it to two years old, sadly. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, so that was slightly heartbreaking. Not yeah. even slightly heartbreaking, like very, very heartbreaking. Um, especially, I mean, all three of them were the most wonderful cats ever. But yeah, so... I mean, I know we'll get to her later, but I have, I am so overprotective of my current cat. I don't blame like you, <laughs> yes. especially with that. I mean, I already don't like my cats going outside, but having not had an incident, I don't have a reason to, when you have a reason to, I can imagine not wanting to yeah, let your pets I've outside. Kind of, I've kind of not told Miss Beast too much about that. I mean, she's going to hear about it now <laughs> when she <laughs> listens to this. Surprise! But she's she's already she's already scared about when we move uh, about letting Cleo out of the house because where we are in London again. I know we're going to talk about this shortly, so I'll keep this brief. But where we are in London, like, is not the kind of place where I would feel safe letting a cat outside. But when we move, we might be more freeing in the area we're in to do that. But right now. Um, I, actually, there I isn't. Right. There isn't anything else in in the history section right now. So, I mean, if you want to just transition right into Cleo, that is fine. I mean, we could do. Yeah, we could do. I don't mind uh, going out of order. It's not. It's not a syllabus, right? Yeah, sure, sure. No. Uh, so, those of you who don't know, I do have a. She actually turned one six days ago. A kitten called Cleo. She uh, short for Cleodora, not Cleopatra. Just have to clear that up. Uh, <laughs> 
because everyone always thinks her name's Cleopatra. She is a domestic short hair crossed with, we think, Siamese. So my sister is a vet, and we thought she was a domestic short hair, but her face is too small, her head is too small, body shape, she's a bit too small for a standard short hair as well. And she's got literally ginormous ears. And so my sister was like, she's got to have some Siamese in her. Then you look at Siamese cats and you're just looking at Cleo, just with different colouring. So we're pretty sure that she's, you know, quite heavily maybe her dad. We don't know. We don't know who her dad was. Her dad might have been a Siamese or had heavily large amounts of Siamese in him. Uh, But no, she's, she's wonderful. She's my baby. She's just, I could, I've never, she's my very first animal that is, you know, not a family pet. She is mine and Miss Beasts and mine alone, well, ours alone. And, you know, I kind of find it quite bizarre. Like, I've loved my animals all my life. Don't get me wrong. Of course I have. But, like, without getting too sentimental here, the love I have for this cat, Ryan, the love I have for this cat, I have never quite experienced anything like it. And I would, I would throw myself in front of a lorry for her. Like, I totally get you, dude. Honestly, my my cat Isaac. Um, all my cats are special to me, but you know, I've gone through a lot with uh with Isaac in particular. I totally feel you, dude. Like, I I sit and look at him at night sometimes, and I'm thinking, how was I blessed with this wonderful animal? (laughs) You know. Mm. I mean, at times she drives me up the wall, but at the same oh, time yeah. she cannot do any wrong. But I mean, she's currently in her terrible teens, you know, at that <laughs> age of one. So, I mean, we feel really bad because where we are moving soon, but we've been saving money and staying for the last half a year in uh, Miss Beast's parents' house. And she she does this thing because she knows it gets a rise out of me. And she did this in our last flat as well, where we were living. Um, If she wants attention for any reason whatsoever, like you're not giving her enough attention, you're watching TV, but she wants your attention. She will find something in the house. Like a lot of cats and dogs and, you know, as puppies and kittens, they'll destroy furniture. No, no, no. Cleo like actually takes house on the house itself. So she's currently like in the bedroom. There are these like corners that come out of the walls where you've got like a little nook and she has literally just torn the paint off them where she just like goes up and (laughs) scratches it down just trying to get our attention and she knows she does wrong because you like say her name and you tell her off and she just then looks at you and she's just like (laughs) and runs off they know and yeah exactly she knows she shouldn't do it and it's just we feel a bit bad about it right now of course because it's not our house uh so we've just had to buy like a load of extra wallpapering and she has this particular affinity to like taking off i'll speak of the devil she's just jumped in with something she shouldn't have in her mouth right now (laughs) um but she has this particular affinity for like ripping the silicon off of windows you know like the silicon sealant kind of stuff yeah she manages to i don't know how she manages to like find somewhere where it's not fully sealed properly and she will then like tear it up and then rip it off with her mouth like it's an easy fix but it's darn annoying i can imagine especially you know getting towards the winter months if you don't catch it it's just gonna be cold one night yeah yeah and she's she's been doing it in the bathroom a lot here as well hang on give me two seconds i really need to remove this plastic from her one okay. second. 
No problem. Short, short intermission, guys. Uh, everybody, you know, take an extra large, loud sip of your drinks while we wait for him to come back with his cat. You can't you can't plan ahead for everything, but um, you know I I like to do these mostly live and unedited, so that way you guys get the full experience. Um, I'm back. He's back. back. Yay! I just talked I the whole time you were was. gone. I, I just reinitiated my streamer powers and just went for it. <laughs> <laughs> All good. She. I don't know what that was. It feels like it was uh, like sandwich biscuit. Oh, that's something. funny. Yeah, dude, there's like where she got it from. There's fast food straws all over my house because my dad can't help himself and gives them to the cats because they love playing with them. And I go, that's not a toy, that's trash. And he goes, but they love them. <laughs> I, I feel <laughs> well, exactly you. like exactly like they could despite all of that. Like I I find it funny. I mean, she's gonna she's gonna do it in our house, which we're gonna own, so I won't feel too bad about that because I can just paint over the walls if she destroys the paint on them, you know? Or resilicon something. But she's she's just wonderful. She is she's a nightmare, but she's my nightmare, you know? And she's become very popular on my stream these days. We actually uh just did so I'm taking a break from streaming for the next few weeks or so while we get the house moved. And our last stream we just did a one year Cleo birthday stream and uh we were just trying like i've never done sub goals and things like that but i was just like oh let's try and do a sub goal just to like try and get her i really want to get her like a nice electric fountain to stop her constantly trying to drink from the bathroom taps and uh we raised the money for it which is great and oh, it just awesome. shows how much people love Cleo. yeah and I was, they do i was there in the beginning and i wasn't sure if you wound up getting the money for it but that's that's super awesome yeah, we managed to. Yeah, really, really, really kind of them, to be fair. And um, so as soon as you know we get that payout, she's gonna, she's gonna get her fountain. <laughs> and you know, uh, you know, people come into the stream and they don't say how are you, they say how's Cleo, and I'm just like, great, thanks. She's, she's doing good. She's doing good. That's, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a little flattering because Cleo wouldn't be nothing without you. So yeah, exactly, exactly <laughs> that. But. You know, she's uh, I'm actually currently trying to find for when we move a chair, which might be like a new computer chair, which might be cat proof because she has destroyed my current one. Uh, but I have a feeling cat proofing a chair is just putting a blanket over the back of it. Yeah, I don't know what she would do besides get a leather that's so hard it's uncomfortable to sit on. Yeah, I don't know. It's like she likes to climb up the back of it, which uh, in turn mm. tears everything down. Yeah, it's, it's cute. But it breaks your chair. <laughs> All right. Um. So let's move on real quick. We have. Uh, what's your hobbies outside of Twitch? Do you have any major hobbies? Uh, I'm a very avid reader, so I read uh, a lot, mainly on like my commutes because my commute into work is quite long, and then I've always been someone who is a very strong advocate of taking your lunch break like i know we'll get into this but a lot of people that i know rarely take the lunch breaks they should have so i read a lot on my lunch breaks and on my commutes i'm a avid uh high fantasy reader Ooh. so i read like you know little big five six seven hundred page novels series at a time like i'll find a series that i like and then read all four five six books or whatever in that series um i think I don't know how impressive this is or not, like, or if it even is impressive, but some people find it and some people are like, oh, I read more, but I tend to read a, you know, 
I'd say between 20 to 30, like five, 600 page novels a year or so. And my, and my collection is ever growing. And on that note as well, I am actually writing a novel. So there's something else that I'm doing. Um, I should have added questions in. I knew that actually. I should, I should ask a yeah, question about so that here in a second. That's actually, that's actually where the name Cleodora comes from for Cleo. She's uh, one of my title characters for it. Yeah, if, uh, if you I don't mind, like, I just like the name for the cat. If you don't mind, I wouldn't li- mind diving into that here in just a second. Um, sure, um, but I do, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm just thinking. Um, I do. I play a lot of instruments. Those are other things I do, hobby wise. Uh, okay. I do what do you play? play? The guitar. I play acoustic guitar, and I play the piano. Uh, I haven't had lessons in either of them for well over ten to twelve years, but I do. I'm okay. I wouldn't call myself like I'm not the next Mozart or the next like Jimi Hendrix or anything, but I I know my way around some chords, you know, and I can play a good few things on the piano. Uh, I just I like if I get the time just sitting and tinkering around and trying to learn and relearn things. But, you know, I used to be in a band. I used to be a uh, back when I was like 15, 16, I used to be in a uh, indie rock band where I was the lead singer and rhythm guitarist. Uh, yeah. Uh, please tell me there's pictures of you with like long hair. <laughs> uh, probably somewhere. Which oh, I'll find it does you. exist. Okay, I have to get it. Um. <laughs> sadly, sadly, we had an old MySpace music page, right? But I don't know if you heard, but like five-ish years ago or so, MySpace lost all of the music on their music pages i did not know that there is no recovery and there was there was an incredible i say incredible i was like 16 but we we participated in a battle of the bands like a regional battle of the bands for like the southwest i think it was uh obviously for like you know school bands so bands who got together who are like you know aged between 15 and 18 i'd say and uh we came fifth out of about 32 i think that's impressive which is pretty good yeah Yeah, and we uh we so it was like two original songs our original songs were awful we won't go into that (laughs) uh two original i can't write lyrics ryan i can't write lyrics all of my lyrics are about looking and seeing things (laughs) i don't know take take from that what you will but then we had to do one cover song as well and our cover uh if you could believe me being me was uh, Killing in the Name by Rage Against the Machine. Uh, good song. I don't and, hate it. I, know, but, I mean, that was me doing my screaming. Uh, Man. You won't, won't you tell me to do it. Do, yeah. Was, <laughs> I, wish, uh, I wish I could get this, but if I wish if I could gone. get this. I've been trying to find it, like, and I've been trying to find anything that might be online from back when we did that, uh, just so I could... A, listen to it to myself, and B, show like Miss Beast and stuff. Uh, but unfortunately, it's all gone. It's all been yeeted into the stratosphere. It's sad. <laughs> um, so you say you can't write lyrics, but something you can write. Good transition, isn't it? Hey, you say you're writing a novel. <laughs> hey, there you go. Yes, yes. I, uh, I am. I'm about fifteen to 20,000 words deep at the minute. Although it's one of those processes where, like, I keep rereading what I've written and I hate it, so I have to rewrite it. I'm sorry, how many Um, pages again? 
I, d I don't know in terms of pages, uh, but I would be going for, so it is a kind of high epic fantasy novel, you know, with different races, your orcs, goblins, magic, elves, humans, my own races that I've created, this, that, the other, um, you know, swords, magic again, the underworld, lots of dark magic, <laughs> elemental magic. Dude, I'm this, into that, this. The other. I want to read this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it actually, you'll, you'll, you'll find this interesting, actually. So this is, uh, this has been in the making, I kid you not, for roughly the last 23 years. That is so awesome. When, yeah, so when I was about seven, eight years old, I, you know, being an avid gamer, may, maybe, maybe eight, nine, either way, around that age, I created like my own fantasy world game, which was going to be in the form of like an RPG. And throughout all of that, like I then made more games and like in my head, obviously, and probably drawings, like rubbishy drawings from when I was that age. And I just expanded on the world and built it up and built it up and built it up and built it up just throughout the years. And like, you know, it's a pretty solid idea, in my opinion. So I have been building on it ever since. And I've got a really rich history of this fantasy world, which started off as like an RPG series uh, in my head, which has like now got an incredibly expansive history about it. Uh, and, you know, it went from being like a video game to, oh, maybe it would be a really good anime or manga, then back to like, oh, you know what, like maybe one day I could develop it into a game. But then now with all that I've been reading and everything, I'm like, oh, you know what, I could just write this. Like I could try my hand at writing this. And I've, um, yeah, so I've been trying my hand at writing it. But, you know, out of this big, expansive timeline, I've kind of like, I was like, so where can I pick up, which would be an interesting part to write about. So I've kind of chosen that now, and I'm going all in on it. And, you know, many more ideas and things have developed uh, from since I've started writing it, but it is, it is a tricky process. Like I would never say I am the best writer in the world, but then everyone's severely critical of their own work. Uh, and you know, I find myself struggling. I I'm good on like description and describing action and that kind of thing where I need a lot of work on, in my opinion, is things like dialogue. I find having that different tone of voice for each character quite tricky to do. So that is something that I am actively working on. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, it is also finding time to do this. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've, I've read a lot of interviews with authors that I read quite a lot of and that inspire me in a way. And uh, so Joe Abercrombie, Brent Weeks, uh, to name a few, Peter V. Brett, uh, Adrian Tchaikovsky, they, you know, they, everyone says the same thing. Like, if you're serious about writing, then, you know, even if it's no good, to get yourself really into it, just sit down and spend half an hour to an hour a day and just write something. Hmm. So I'm, especially when we move, because it's hard to do it in the space we're in now, I'm going to very much try and get myself into that mindset and... 
hopefully that will just build up my own confidence in myself as well. Yeah. Uh, do you do you, do you think we got a Cleo interruption? Uh, do you think that we'll get a Damn. release date? I'll, I'll wait till he's done. I'm sorry. Sorry, no, no release date. Uh, uh, yeah. Do you think we'll get a release date or, or anything here in the next couple of years? And do you have a platform you want to put it on? I would quite like. I don't know if I want to go down the self-publishing route. If I were to do it, I think I would want to try and like sell it as part of a book deal because it is see this is the thing if i go into something i go hard into it and this isn't just like a standalone book this is a trilogy um okay and what i'm also struggling with as well is i want to write the second and third ones because they're much more interesting to me in terms of what happens in them it's all part of the same story but it needs to be split into like you know, a few separate books. I gotta be honest, um, I'm really excited to one day read this. I really hope you, you it will, find I time will, and follow through with it. I will be I will do it eventually. I've got my mindset to it and I think I've already invested too much time into it to not uh, you know, go and explore it further. Uh but you know, I know I've got the solid idea. And at the end of the day, so someone else, um who was it? I think it was Joe Abercrombie, who is probably one of my favorite authors, he's a British-based author um, who he writes high fantasy, but with like some very almost like industrial elements to it. So it's not obviously fantasy. It's very medieval kind steampunk, of steampunk, maybe thing. Not so much steampunk. Like he's only it's only his most recent trilogy where he's like you know the world essentially it does have magic but magic has been lost for centuries and centuries and centuries and it's not about magic taking a comeback but it's kind of taking that world and that world is now becoming much more modernized like you know the industrial revolution has just happened in it for example hmm. uh but interesting he yeah but he has then you know he said it's not about whether you're a good writer or not like if you've got a solid story uh, you know, you could be the worst writer in the world. If you've got a solid story, people will like it. And, you know, that makes me think of people like J.R.R. Tolkien. I know <laughs> this might be controversial, but if you read Lord of the Rings, it is written awfully. It is not, it is, it is not written well. Uh, it's, it's all over the place, but the story is phenomenal. I, Similarly, I, I like J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling can't write, but everyone loves the story of Harry Potter. Uh, what's, so, this, what's this author's name you're talking about? I'm just actually going to jot this down for myself just so I make sure I get uh, it right. Joe Abercrombie. His very first book is called The Blade Itself. So, I'm, dude, I'm reading this. I've been reading a I'll lot link, more recently. Dude, I'll link you to it. It's fantastic. He's probably my favorite author out there. He's done nine books, set, uh, ten books set in this current world. There's a trilogy, then three standalones, and then the most recent trilogy, which just came out. Uh, well, the third one, it just came out. And then there's a book of short stories as well. Dude, that's awesome. Okay, I feel like I, I selfishly took over the uh, <laughs> the questions here for my own interest because I want to hey, know about good, this. All good, all good. It's, it's interesting to talk about. Like, I find it... But I'm not going to go into the story of it. Just know it is high fantasy. It is very much your standard story of a struggle between good and evil. It is that kind of story. Classic. Um, yeah. But it's very in-depth what I want to try and do and achieve with it. Just, I, I find it's, it's, it's there in my head. It's there kind of written down in a lot of note form and things like that. But when I try and 
explain it to people. I struggle to explain like the story to people. I think it's just something I need to write and then people will hopefully read it and they'll be like, oh, okay, I see what he's doing. Okay, well, if I, I try mean, and explain it, I really struggle to put it into words. It, it, it sounds like it's just going to be cool. A passion project taking that long. I mean, there's, there's no way it won't be interesting. And, you know, something um, my dad actually told me, and it's a piece of advice I try to run through my head, um, that he heard somewhere as well, is if you think it's good, someone else will think it's good. You know what I mean? I never have that, that doubt as well. So yeah. that's just that's just something to muddle around if you ever have that. Yeah, I think I just doubt, need but... to. Yeah, exactly. And then that's what you know, editors and proofreaders are for, right? If they you know read something and then they say to you, "Oh, you know that bit you can maybe cut out, or that bit you just got to be brutal with your work, really, mm-hmm. as well, and um, not be so self-critical, which is something I need to work on. This is I. I... I'm so fascinated in this conversation. <laughs> so I feel like we we dove. Uh, this wasn't even on the the list of stuff to talk about today, but I I love I love books and, and writing and stuff as well. Um, uh, did you have anything on this real quick before we move on? Uh, no, I think I think I'm good. I mean, only that you know, if I were to do it, I I have more plans than just the trilogy. Like as Ooh. I say, I'm only focusing on just a, a singular piece of the rich history that is behind it all yeah like then the the son of my main character he's got a whole story arc that happens with him which i think is really interesting as well which ties in with a lot of the past characters that we'll see in the first trilogy so i'm i'm excited to try and actually put it all into writing and tell this story that has been still to this day ryan to this day I will be walking by myself. I've got like a half an hour, 40 minute walk through London or something uh, like from A to B. And all that's going through my head is like different scenes from this, which I'm playing out on my head. No, that's super it's, awesome. I, I love yeah, that. Like uh, consistently. I, I just need to put it on a bloody piece of paper for people to read. It's fine. I, I do a similar thing. Uh, we'll talk about this later, but I have almost a similar story to you <laughs> this, in this uh, writing process. But um, no, that's I'm intrigued. It's no, it's it's definitely just how it works. Like you just you have a story in your soul, and you, it doesn't know how to get out. You have to force it mm. out, right? Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. So um, yeah, but actually, you you transitioned into my next question, which is like living in London, um. You have to walk around and whatnot. How how much? I know you kind of dove into this a little bit earlier, but how drastically different is it in the city versus the rural? I mean, obviously it's going to be majorly different, but um, are are you like in the city city? Uh, I mean, yes, I work in the city okay. city, so I work in central London. Around. So London is split into zones. I don't know if you know this. It's split into zones. Nope. It's split into eight different zones, um, and you know. Zone one is very central London. Zone two is, you know, still central London, but not as central as central. It's kind of like, imagine each zone as a circle going around the very center of London. So zone one is that very center of London. And then you've got a slightly bigger circle and all of that is zone two, a bigger circle, all that is zone three and so on and so forth. Uh, So I currently live in zone three uh, and then I work in zone one. I think the main difference between it is obviously the vast amount of people. Uh, so you, you know, you get the tube to places. If you're getting a bus or if you're getting like 
public transport around in more rural areas like around the new forest like around salisbury and things like that like you're always going to get a seat and you know they're never going to be that full apart from maybe the school run buses for example but um you get in london like you get on anything you are standing like sardines <laughs> with people jam-packed on all sides it's pretty horrible it, i mean it depends on the t- time of day but you know everyone's commuting to work at the same time um i mean i do luckily tend to start i tend to start at 10 o'clock whereas most jobs would start at nine o'clock so i do occasionally get luck of the draw and i'm getting the tube into work the underground the metro whatever you want to call it the subway um we call it the tube uh but you know you're getting the tube in and i do more often than not get a seat but you know there are times when you know weekends especially you're getting it and you're just it's it's not pleasant it's not pleasant at all and i think as well what i struggle with here is the lack of countryside and open space and silence that i have become very used to like if i get when i go to sleep i have to have like pitch black and complete and utter silence i have to i'm getting a bit more used to having white noise which we actually uh, started using on our google home uh to drown out leo at times <laughs> when she was younger. yeah when she was younger which she doesn't do anymore but it's kind of stuck but more generally like i think my love of the silence at night comes from like you go to sleep in like any of our new forest houses and stuff that we lived in it is you cannot hear you can you can hear like the tiniest of flies buzzing around it's that quiet like a little midgy thing you can you can hear it flying around it is that quiet and that's the kind of quiet that i need and where we are moving to uh is more that is more the countryside it is more like i go for five i walk for five minutes outside my front door and i've got a big open field and forests and amazing dog walking areas and this and that, which you just don't get in London. Oh, that's going to be very nice. Yeah. It's going to be different for Miss Beast because she has lived in London her entire life. uh, But she is also resenting living in London at this point in time. So I think she's very, very well ready for the change. And I think she'll adapt well and adapt quickly. Okay, I actually have one very specific question about something sure. you said, which is when you guys are are packed in like sardines, as you said. Uh, I've mm-hmm. never I've never been like on a subway or even a public bus, actually. Believe it or not, I've never had to do that. I, I the specific question is, what's the smell like? it it depends it is usually quite sweaty it's quite a damp place especially in the summer when everyone is sweating and you know it's it seems to be a lot more people these days are actually cycling to work but the second the rain comes it's jam-packed again the second it's too hot to walk anywhere the tubes are jam-packed again like yeah, it it doesn't smell good, <laughs> but I'm I'm quite I've thankful that now. Yeah, I'm quite thankful that now they do actually. You know, it is still uh, law on public transport to wear face masks, thanks to all COVID. So that's actually been quite beneficial. I mean, sixty percent of people aren't wearing their face masks, which is why I think I caught COVID two weeks ago. Uh, but I'm wearing one, and. 
it helps with the smell. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can imagine. I mean, it's basically literally an air filter, right? Yeah. For um. Sure. So, okay. Uh, moving on, Miss Beast. You've mentioned her a few times. Uh, give us your history on that. I, I don't know how comfortable you are revealing stuff with her if you've gone over this, whatnot. But oh um, no, more than happy to. More than happy to. Yeah. Okay. So like, I mean, uh, yeah, just dive in. So Miss Beast. Um. I think I I I I think she'd be okay with me saying her name, but I'm not going to just in case. Uh, we have been together for close to four years now, so realistically, not that long. But um, we met on Tinder, that wonderful website. What? Uh, it's a it's a sweet story in a way, actually. Like I had all but given up on Tinder dating websites and my love life kind of thing and i was living it was just after i moved to north london actually uh five years ago four years ago whenever it was and uh you know i never get a notification from tinder i literally had not been on tinder for three or four months and i just got a random notification on my phone saying someone has swiped right to you click <laughs> on it now to see who it is and i'm just like all right fine i'm done with it but let's just see and it was her uh, and I swiped right. I was like, you know, she's she's pretty. She's a you know Colombian lady. I think she yeah you know, thought she looked wonderful. So I swiped right on her, and we matched, and we got into talking quite quickly. Uh, I'd say two less than two weeks later, because you know with online dating, I eventually just kind of took the whole thing like what is the point of talking to someone for two or three weeks and then you agree to meet up only to then realize you don't like each other? That's wasting everyone's time. So I think it was actually less than a week when I was like, you know what? Let's meet up. Let's just go for a drink and see if we get along. And she was actually really open about it. And she was just like, yeah, absolutely. So I think maybe seven or eight days after we started talking, we met up. It was actually uh, it's quite a funny story when we did meet up. So I was working not in my current job. Uh, I was working in hospitality trade at the time. And I was um, I went to work that day that we were meant to be meeting up. But of course, like in the morning before I went to work, I couldn't find my phone anywhere. <laughs> and I was panicking because I was like, I've got this date with this really nice girl in the evening. like what am I to do? I, I don't have my phone. I can't text her or anything. And I was going to be late for work. So I just left the house, but I took my iPad with me instead and quickly installed Tinder onto it. So we were talking by like WhatsApp by text message at this point in time, but I just downloaded Tinder onto it. And then like, I must've seemed like an absolute idiot because then I got to like my lunch break, I think. And I went onto the iPad onto Tinder, found her on it uh on obviously my profile on our matches <laughs> found her and i was like you'll never guess what i've lost my phone <laughs> i don't have my phone with me but i'm still up for tonight like i'll meet you at this particular place at this time and she's like yeah okay no that's fine that's fine so then it gets to that time after work i get to where we're meant to meet and i can't see her anywhere but naturally like I can't text her. So I'm there, I'm there trying to like run from tube station to tube station, trying to connect my iPad to the Wi-Fi in the tube station so I can open Tinder Jesus. and I can message her and say where I am. And um, 
I think the premiere of the Lara Croft film was there that night and we met up in Leicester Square and she was just like stood watching it while she was waiting for me. And then I eventually finally found her flustered as anything, just like, I am so sorry, but you know, just an amusing story. But we ended up just going to a bar and I think we were there for five hours and we literally only had one drink each for the entire five hours and we just chatted the entire time like no silences nothing it just flowed and wonderful yeah and it just really quickly i think things moved relatively fast from there i'd say within four or five months or so i was we were basically either she was always at mine or i was always at hers we were basically living with each other and then nine months later we got our first flat together and three years later we have just bought a house together and a cat. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I mean, that's awesome. That's actually just, that's such a cute story. Uh, hold on to that forever. Because speaking of nine months later, uh, I know you don't have any kids right now, but... <laughs> <laughs> I love your transition. My, my segue game's on point today. No, I'll that's be honest. just so on point. So on point. But uh, so, uh, are we going to see any little little beasts running around at some point in the future? Uh, I would like to think so. Um, I think neither of us are quite there yet. Um, but, you know, I'm 30. She's almost 30. So, you know, I guess in a way there is a time frame. Uh, but I would quite like two. She's an only child, so she would quite like one. But she has kind of paved because at this point I have said I want two so many times. Uh, <laughs> because, like, having had sibling growing up like i think there is a lot of benefits to having a sibling uh but obviously she's like but i'm an only child and i'm just fine and i'm just like yeah but i want my kids to have siblings uh so you know but i mean it's not my body at the end of the day is it so we'll we'll end up we'll have one we might have two i would like to think we have two but you know i'm not opposed to just having one but maybe three four years from now i'd say yeah, you know, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with with waiting. My uh, actually, anecdotally, my stepdad he, he had a hand in raising me and my sister, um, but he didn't have his own kid until he was forty, I think is exactly when it was. And he he told me a couple times that having his own child to raise at that age really helped him because he wasn't prioritized with drinking or partying or anything. He had his you know mm. work life set. He felt really responsible. And yeah, sure, he like like I said, he kind of helped raise me a little bit but i wasn't his kid and he didn't have full responsibilities so i mean waiting isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world no for sure for sure of course not and i think you know with the house move and things we want to settle there uh you know there is a lot going on so my sister's actually having a having her first child uh due in march which is really exciting we're going to be an uncle and an auntie oh um congratulations I'm going to be to uncle sam thank you i'm going to be uncle sam they're having a little girl uh, but you know, then it's, we're at that point in time as well, where all of our friends are getting married. I think next year alone, we have about six weddings Jeez. and, um, yeah, um, it's just, we're not there yet as well. I think we both just want to do as much as we can beforehand. Like we've got plans to, we need to go to Columbia to, uh, see her family. Cause I haven't met all of her family that live over there yet. We need to, you know, we're planning for her 30th next year. We really want to go to South Korea. We want to go to places like Japan. We want to do another America trip, things like that. And all of those things like are going to have to be put on hold, really, if 
we have a kid come along sooner. So I think we just want to get as much like that we want to do for us out of our system first, and then we'll look towards actually having little beasties running around. That's that's um that's awesome. That's a pretty good idea. And if you do wind up making a trip to America, make sure you just come and say hi for a little oh, little stint. Hundred percent. We will be there. A hundred percent. That'll be awesome. I mean, you're all, you're all so wonderful that have said that. Like, I think you, Smash, who was obviously your guest last week uh crad radium um simon what does simon say like all of them all of you have said like you have to come and see me and i'm <laughs> like literally we will i promise you we will that'll be awesome i'm actually looking forward to it uh okay, I, would, I would love to go happen. over there one day too but you know london scary you guys would be more than welcome where we're moving to you know we're moving oh, into awesome. a little three-bed house oh, so just we, build me, we can build me a little hut on the field <laughs> that could work i mean we'll have a little shed in our garden or you know i'm converting the garage into like a little stream room so you can you can have that oh okay there. you'll you, have a sofa a tv a stream set up you'll be you'll be sorted you better put up lots of foam because the acoustics in garages are not very good oh yeah i know but i'm gonna make it a fully livable space what watch this space like in a year or so there'll be pictures all over my discord on my socials of the before and after of what I've done to this garage. I have big plans. Yo, construction stream. I mean, people will watch anything, right? I mean, I'm probably going to do like I've, I'll put like a camera up and when I have, <laughs> whether it's me and some family and friends doing it or whether I get people in, like I'll do a time lapse of it. That's for sure. That'd be cool. Um, all right. So let's talk about your career for a little bit. You currently sure. work in okay i want to point this out when we were doing our, our little pre-talk beforehand i said you work in film and you were very quick to correct me you work in television so let's let's talk about that the distinction and then we'll, we'll go into your career as well sure um yeah so i work in television production um a lot to talk about in terms of that so television production probably isn't what you think it means but in terms of the difference between tv and film um Obviously, all the job roles are pretty much the same, but you when when you go into that kind of arts and entertainment industry, you generally tend to just pick your field straight off the bat. So you either so you you would start off as a what you call a runner, and you know while there are, can be some changeover, generally speaking, if you're a runner, so kind of. I don't want to say bottom of the barrel, but a runner is essentially bottom of the chain of command or whatever you would call it. Um, you know, you would choose to try and get work on feature films or more often than not, like you would get work in small TV productions and TV shows kind of thing. Uh, not talking about like the bigger high-end tv productions that is a whole nother genre as well there are so many different subgenres and things uh when it comes so yeah i mean they are very much they're similar jobs but it's essentially what what's the best way to put it like put it like teachers for example a teacher would choose their subject when they go into their teacher training right and they'll be training for a specific subject so it's kind of like that you go into it thinking right, I want to work in film, so you focus on finding film-related roles, or I want to work in television, so you go into working television kind of roles. Uh, there's not loads of difference between it, but 
if I were, put it like this, I'm what you call a production coordinator. If I was offered a production coordinator role on a film, I wouldn't take it because whilst the job titles are the same and there would be some crossover in what we do, I probably wouldn't have half an idea of what a production coordinator does on a film set. If that makes sense. I did not know it was that distinct. It kind of feels like just record it and then either cut it into episodes or cut it into one two hour chunk, right? But yeah, I, yeah, I mean, you, you think that, you think that. But I mean, even then when you go into it, like even in television production, you've got, say you've got high-end TV, that's all of your dramas, your, um, uh, you know, your sitcoms, that kind of thing. Uh, you've got, which, you know, you could also call scripted. Uh, you've also got the re- uh, reality genre, you've got the studio genre, you've got the uh, like nature documentary genre, or you've got what I work in, which is factual entertainment. Uh, so The most boring each- genre, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? No, no, no. Um, factual entertainment is... I I enjoy it. It's like, I personally, when I decided I wanted to work in TV, I don't want to work on any shows that I like because it ruins the magic of them. It's actually big brain as hell. Yeah. And I, knowing how something runs, it does very much spoil the magic of it. So take, for example, my first real, like, runner gig, which kind of got me into TV, was Britain's Got Talent. You know, with Simon oh, Cowell and everything. Yeah, oh, wow. I didn't know you were on that much of a, yeah. of a so, huge uh, show. That was, that was my very first. So I actually, I think I did, like, just out of uni, I managed to, and I did television production at university, um, which anyone thinking about going into tv just an fyi you do not need to do television production at university like (laughs) you can go in straight from finishing college at 18 don't worry about university if you really want to go into tv uh i hire people now and i don't read their education section i just see what relevant skills they've got you know um (laughs) but um yeah so i was very lucky it was like a really weird connection my dad's partner's sister's husband is like an editor for tv uh for a lot of different shows and things and he knew the guy who ran the company that does britain's got talent uh so and he owed him a favor so he got the favor of me going and working a weekend on britain's got talent so you've got loads of different versions uh things of what they do so you start off with the pre-auditions which is where people auditions for like the producers and things of the show and then if they get through that then they go to you know the stage auditions that you see on america's got talent or britain's got talent Mm -hmm. and then and then you go into you know the live shows and everything from there and like that uh so i did like a weekend on the pre-auditions and then that was it I did a weekend in Birmingham and one day in London and that was it. And I didn't get any other TV gigs for close to a year and a half, maybe two years. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. It's a really cutthroat industry to try and get into, especially when you start out because you can apply for as many things you want under the sun. It is an industry of who, you know, So you want to go into any of your first jobs that you get and make a damn good impression that, 
you know, I was on the ball, even though like a runner, essentially what you're doing is realistically, you're getting teas and coffees, you're going on runs to go out and get Simon Cowler matcha latte from the coffee shop down the road. You're doing this, you're doing that, like just you're doing, you're doing, I don't want to swear on this show. I don't know what the gist is with that, but you're, you're doing the, the awful jobs, you know, you're it's doing the jobs you that no one yeah, you do, you're doing the shit jobs. That's what you're doing. <laughs> um, that is what a runner is. But if you do those jobs well, then people will, you know, notice you and take a liking to you. So I was then just really lucky. So I was then, while I was looking for runner work, when I said earlier I was working in hospitality industry, I was just with a hospitality agency where I could take as many shifts as I want and it would be in different places all around London. Like it's not the same place all the time. My idea behind that being if any TV work were to come along, I'm not tied down in a contract with one particular place kind of thing. Uh, I can just you know, decide not to work that week that I have a runner gig, for example. Uh, but, you know, I was struggling. I wasn't finding anything. And then out of the blue, literally two seasons, so two years later, I get a random email from the Britain's Got Talent team saying, would you like to come and work on this year's series as a runner of Britain's Got Talent? We've got the pre-auditions in London coming up and we need runners for a few weeks or a few weekends. And I was like, well, yeah, absolutely I do. Um, I, I assume what happened is, you know, they have a big back catalogue of people that they've used in the past. They had my email address and they were just, you know, sending out to everyone and seeing who might be available. That's probably how they staff up. Um, so I went on that and had a whale of a time, but this time like really made sure that I was seen and like was really proactive with everything. Uh, and then they invited me back to the live auditions, uh, which was really cool. So I did the live auditions and then I made it as well to then working on the live shows because they kind of have, they have like say 50 or 60 runners in the pre auditions. Then you have maybe 40 runners on the live auditions, and then you have maybe 20 runners on the uh, live shows. So it's kind of like quite cutthroat, and then they cut it down each time as it as they need. Uh, and I had a really cool job on the live shows. So I was the talent runner. So on each of the live shows, they had a different um, they had a different celebrity guest come on. Uh, at the kind of end of the show on the results show uh so my job was to look after the talent so okay. i had some really cool names in there like i had uh jesse J. I had this group called diversity who are a dance group very famous over here i had cuba gooding jr i had alfie bow i had the cast from the west end matilda show and on the very last day i had channing tatum oh. who is lovely by the way absolutely lovely um so it was really really cool really 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 cool and you know some of them were not great some of them were lovely like i know everything that happened and the accusations and all of that behind cuba gooding jr but he was lovely to me just 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 saying uh but then channing was great as well like really really kind and that kind of evolved from there so like i couldn't find any more work for a while after that back to doing all the hospitality stuff applying 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 and it's a slog but as i say it's who you know 
So one of the production coordinators, like I am now, she, like maybe four months later, she got in touch with me. So she had clearly been writing down the names of runners that she liked and who did a good job. And like, you know, they clearly liked me because they wouldn't just give anyone the talent runner role looking after the big names like that, you know? Right. Um, so she she clearly had written down my name. So she got me on um, this show, which was Ariana Grande live at the BBC. So we had Ariana just doing a concert in the BBC studios in London. So I worked on that for three months. Uh, and then that went on to me being passed on and recommended to another place and another company. And I then was uh, running on a show called Donal McIntyre's Murder Files, which is like a factual entertainment show all about murders that have happened in the uk and i was on the drama reconstruction team so you know all those awful drama reconstructions and stuff that you <laughs> yeah uh, they actually needed me as an extra so in one of the episodes of season two i was a murderer i was one of the murderers so that's fun Aww. uh yes it's got broadcast and i i i am very upset about it <laughs> oh no it's a week so we can't see it I have no idea. I have no oh, idea no. where you would find it. But Donal McIntyre series two. Uh my my murderer was a guy called Gonzalez, who is a Hispanic male, and I am very much, very clearly a white guy with blonde hair. So they show the pictures <laughs> of I mean this shows the quality of the drama reconstructions, right? They show this picture of Gonzalez, the serial killer, and then it cuts to me. <laughs> it's just so poorly done it's so funny could he like, give you a wig no i had blonde hair he was a skinhead oh it's just just too funny but you know that was that was good fun and that was my last runner gig and what you then have uh you either go down two routes in television so you go down what you call the editorial route and you go down what you call the production route and it might not be quite what you think. So editorial, that is like your researchers, your assistant producers, your producer directors, so the people who are on the ground filming the shows. Production, uh, which is the route that I went into, we are more of the behind the scenes. So you go into production assistant, then production secretary, then production coordinator like I am now until you're eventually like production manager and then a production executive and so on. And what we do is we make everything happen. So like your directors, your producers, your executive producers, which is different to a production executive. It's very, very bizarre. I won't go too much into that. But um, they will be like, right, we're making this show. We, have, we want this, 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 and this to happen. And then we are the people who manage the budget. And we say, okay, well, you can have this happen but we don't have the budget for this, so we can't do this. But then they go like, oh, okay, well, can we do this then? And we're like, okay. And we are the people who then set up the entire thing, and then they go off and do all of the filming of it and stuff. There's um, a lot of responsibility then. Yeah, so I kind of went down this route. It is the lesser paid route, although there is... Um, there is 
some benefits in it still. We are actually, there is a big movement across the UK at the minute uh, where we are trying to get equal pay with our editorial counterparts, um, which has actually been reflected relatively recently. So like it just resulted in myself getting a rather hefty pay rise, which I can't complain about. Um, But it's, we have the benefit of an editorial contract might last like, four weeks, five weeks, because that's how much filming there is. Whereas a production contract, which is why I went into it, is we do the pre-production, we look after them during the production, and then we do all of the post-production of getting the show ready to deliver to the channel who is broadcasting it. So our contracts are like six months, eight months. So they're much longer, and the security is more there. And like, if there's one thing I don't like about the TV industry, it is how you are jumping from job to job to job to job to job so you are constantly interviewing but i'm really lucky with where i am right now so when i went into production i went in with a company uh and we did a show called an american aristocrat's guide to great estates and we did that for smithsonian channel uh which was it was a great fun a great experience i was actually going out on shoots for that uh, because they needed someone from production on the ground so obviously it's going to be the production assistant not like the coordinator or the manager or anything uh but you know i i've always more taken initiative in things like work where i see what people do and then i'm like well i can do that so i was very much working quite closely with my production coordinator at the time and i was like well i can do what you're doing so uh we then did like we did the full series which i think was eight episodes then we did two special episodes but the coordinator couldn't come back and they were gonna get another coordinator in but i was like hang on i can definitely do what our coordinator did so let me do it so they were like um and i was like let me do it so they were like okay and they let me do it and i basically You get a lot of people, a lot of people could be like me where they're so proactive in the case that they kind of push to make themselves rise up in their career quicker than others, especially in like TV and things. Whereas, you know, I have people, I have friends who have been runners for five years because I I don't, I I personally don't know why, but I've always just been like, well, no, I want to do that. I want to have more responsibility. I want to take more under my wing. So I went from being a runner to a production coordinator in the space of a year, just under a year or so, whereas a lot of people would, you know, spend maybe two, three years as a production assistant, production secretary before they become a coordinator. But now I've been coordinating for maybe a year and a half, and I'm already being trained up to be a junior production manager because I'm like, I can do that. It's so impressive. And you know what I really like about this uh, is that, I mean, in the beginning, it seems like you had a little bit of luck with, um, you know, having somebody owed somebody a favor. Hold on. I'm trying to remember back 20 20 minutes ago. It was a a weird favor that a weird family connection had. And that's how I got my first role. Right. So I I love that you took that and, you know, not a lot of people get that advantage, but you didn't squander it. Right. It seems like you really put your foot down, put the work in and then moved forward from there instead of just kind of saying, oh, thanks for the help. And, you know, not doing anything with it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a very much you do have to be proactive and it's really hard to. 
you know, get your foot in the door in this industry. But provided you do, and you um, you are proactive in what you do, you do ask questions. You, you know, you get the job done. You ask what the next job you can do is. As long as you just like are constantly like that, you are gonna go somewhere in the career. You know, you are gonna go somewhere in that career path. Um, what I am very happy about right now is I have for the last fourteen months or so, I've been actually hired as a production coordinator for a much larger company. So rather than normally you'd be hired per show, right? So you'd be hired by a company to be the coordinator on a show. I've been hired by a company to, I was originally just doing the post-production paperwork for them for three weeks. 11 months later, I am still with them and I have done about seven shows with them because they like me so much and they just want to keep me on. Uh, so I'm just like, yeah. And it's, it's again, that security. And I will stay here as long as I can stay here because I don't want to have to go out and start interviewing again, you know? Um, Plus there's progression here. There's the progression here. Like, as I say, they're training me up to be a junior production manager, which is fantastic. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy. And if we're talking money, we won't go into numbers and specifics, but the great thing with TV is each kind of step up the ladder it's not you know just a small pay rise pay rise it's not a small pay rise it is a significant leap like a significant leap so going from where i am to a jpm or even a production manager like yeah i i I can't complain can you give (laughs) us like a multiplier would it be like two times or you don't even uh, want to go that far? Maybe not, maybe, maybe not two times. Uh, as an example, I'd say... I mean, well, don't, actually, don't reveal yeah. too much if you don't want to. Actually, yeah. I'd say what I'm earning now, I'd probably, as a production manager, be earning close to 75% more than what I'm earning now. That is significant. <laughs> you are not yes, wrong. <laughs> it is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I'm not... Yeah. That is that's yeah. super awesome. Okay, I have a couple rapid fire questions about some stuff you talked about real quick that I wrote sure. down. Um, uh, you kind of touched on actually a couple of these just incidentally. The first one was you said you met a few famous people and uh, said Channing Tatum was quite nice. Did you did you meet Simon Cowell when you were working? On I that? did. How I is did. he? Is he just always like that or? He is lovely. Really? Absolutely lovely. Not the my answer one, I expected. My like main interaction with him was I was rushing to do something for the line manager that I was working with. And I had my head in my phone or some paperwork. I can't remember what it was. And I just literally walked straight into someone. I had no idea who it was. I was like, I am so sorry. Dropped like all this paperwork from my clipboard on the floor. Just like that traditional, like, you <laughs> like know. Like a sitcom. You, yeah, like a sitcom <laughs> thing. And I look up and it's Simon Bloody Cow staring back at me. And I was just like, I am so sorry. And he was just like, it's absolutely fine. And he just kind of like picked me up, helped me pick everything up. And he's just like, are you all right? And I'm just like, yeah, he goes, great. And just like get back to it kind of thing but in like a really you. nice friendly way he even yeah, helped you pick lovely. up the paperwork he's lovely it's the other judges that we had which oh really <laughs> that's yeah. not how it's portrayed I don't on the show know many of the names but I, I i don't like the other ones that's funny um wait was howie mandel on your version ever 
No, he's not. No, that's there. just the American one. Yeah. And, and that might even we, be American we, Idol. We have uh, a lady called Alicia Dixon. We have uh, David Walliams. I don't know if you know of him. He did Little Britain. Mm-mm. And we have um, we have Amanda Holden. She's called, She's like a model and radio presenter over here. Amanda's lovely. I will give her that. Amanda is lovely. But Alicia and David, not the biggest fan. <laughs> That's funny. Um, okay, next quick rapid fire one here. This is just this is my own personal interest, and you might not know the answer. Reality TV is it actually fake? Are the rumors true? It depends. Um, they le- I did a runner job on a show which I don't think made it to air. Um, I I wouldn't know. All I can tell you is from my own personal experience, kind of thing, right? Like reality right, yeah. in terms of Ben's got talent and everything. That is very much, very much real. The one thing I don't like about it is, you know, you get the bad acts on Britain's Got Talent or America's Got Talent. Mm-hmm. In the pre-auditions, the producers won't say to them they're bad. They will do their thing. This is why they come out onto the stage thinking that they're really good when they're awful. Because um, the producers have told them they're really good. That's so shady. I don't like yes. that. Yes, I I wouldn't work on it again. Put it like that. Um, and I don't yeah. mind. I'm not. I'm not. I, this is just you know. It's not naming names. This is just like my experience with reality TV and why I wouldn't work in it. Like I, I did another one where I was just like being a runner for a couple of days. Um, same company, funnily enough, that do BGT. Um, but they, it was a show which didn't quite make it to air. But we were like getting different couples i think it was going to be called couple goals or something like that and they were going to send them off to turkey and then you know they're all fresh new instagram couples and they were gonna <laughs> yeah yeah and they were gonna essentially test their relationship so we were doing like their interviews that you know you see before they then go out there and do it um and they did an interview with them as a couple, but then they did a solo interview with each of them. And like one of the things they were asking, like the girls is like, and they ask every girl this. So if you guys are like, you know, just sat by the pool, having a nice chill day kind of thing. And then just like some girl comes up and starts talking to your guy. Like, what are you gonna, how would you react? And I'm just like, I'm just sat there thinking, so basically, the, I mean, these guys are unassuming. They, they have no idea. I'm sure they didn't think what I was thinking with this, like the actual people. But, you know, I was then thinking, so what you're telling me is at some point when these guys are out in Turkey, you're going to find like an attractive girl, <laughs> whack her in a swimsuit and make her go and talk to the guy set and see up. how you react. Like, yeah, they're going to set it up. They're going to set up all of these ridiculous situations. And I just... it. That experience, more than anything, completely put me off working in reality TV. And like, I think they asked me back for another reality thing, and I literally turned it down because I was like, I, I, I don't want to. It is a bit of an exploitative industry. And oh, like, for sure, isn't that yeah, the whole and I, point I, of it? Exactly, and I, I, I don't like it. I couldn't get on board with that. So, yeah. Interesting. Um. What a fascinating career! Like it's it's so just different from most, like, in, yeah. in most people that I know personally, but most stuff you hear about, you know. 
I mean, one crazy thing that we did recently, which is all on Red Bull's YouTube, um, is we, which is very different to Factual Entertainment, what I normally do, but the company that I'm currently working with decided to do this. We uh, worked with Red Bull and we built the world's largest pinball machine. Whoa. Uh, and we had uh, Pasha, Petkins, Pasha Petkins, who is the world's uh, leading free runner. He was also a Red Bull athlete. Uh, he just did his thing in this giant pinball machine that we bought. It was, I think, like something like 60 meters by 20 meters tall, big. It was insane. Wait, he was, was the insane. ball? Yeah. So he's off. <laughs> so they, they kind of do it like with Red Bull. They have their athletes and they say to their athletes, like, you're a pro and you're sport if you could do anything and money wasn't an object what would you do so like for example you had the guy who jumped out of space he was like i jump out of space pasha was like well people often call me the human pinball because of my free running and so i'd, I'd build a giant pinball machine so we we literally built a giant pinball machine and the entire thing is on youtube on if you go on red if you type in red bull pinball machine i think it's red bull human pinball you'll find it it's got like Tens of thousands of views at this point. I'm not gonna lie, I already have the video loaded up before you said that. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah, watch it you'll later. You'll see my name at the end as production coordinator. Ooh, that's sick, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, so proud I of had you. To, I had to, that was <laughs> the most intense uh, three months or so of my career, I think. Like, I was there every day, 16 hour days, six to seven days a week. It was, it was mad. Because, like, that was one thing that I couldn't coordinate from an office. I had to be there. Hmm. <laughs> but yeah. I'm interested to see the, the results later after this. Um... Yeah, let me know what you think. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to dive into your career with? It's, it's definitely no, no. a lot to talk about. The, yeah, I... yeah, there could there could be more to talk about, but um, no, I'm, I'm happy to move on. I think we've touched a lot on it there, but you know, it's, it's one thing. I love TV. I love what I do. Um, honestly, not a hundred percent if I would want to continue to do it for my entire life, but I will cross that bridge. I don't know what else I would do at this point. Yeah. That actually kind of answers the next question I had, which was, were you planning on sticking to this career or anything or had any major yeah. plans? I mean, the only thing that would change, which I don't ever see happening and it is very much a hobby. And I know we're going to be going into this more very shortly. But, you know, be it streaming or my, especially my new YouTube channel, not the World of East Plays one, uh, if they were to actually somehow take off, then yeah, I think I'd do that. But until, and this is the thing, like, you know, I don't earn bad money. And until streaming or YouTube could match what I'm doing now, I would never give it up for that. Oh, that's super smart. Definitely wouldn't have made the exact opposite decision myself a year ago. Yeah, other than that, like I do enjoy what I do. It is stressful at times. Production, people in production do often go very underappreciated. And yet we work a lot more and harder than 
a lot of our editorial counterparts. A lot of editorial people might kick me for saying that if they're listening to this. Uh, but, you know, we, we do go underappreciated what we do. And, you know, the smarter move would have been going into editorial, I think. But I, I tend to find myself quite a organized person, would you believe? I don't often think I am, but apparently I am because I organize all these same things. Um, and it's just, it's just enjoyable. And, you know, I, I've always said I want to work in TV but I still want to come home every night. If I was working in editorial, I, I I wouldn't be able to do that. Like I've just had a couple of teams out in Spain for the last three months, all editorial teams. I couldn't do that. That'd be awful. Yeah, I want to go home every night, you know? That's quite far, quite drastically different. Yeah, right. I don't, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it. So yeah, I, I get to do what I love, making... <laughs> making tv that i would never watch myself <laughs> but, oh, but you know i i i love it i i do love it and yes it can be hard but you know it is gratifying and it is nice to see your name at the end of something that you've worked really hard on no that's that's super sick especially seeing i mean literally in this case but seeing credit for the work you've done oh yeah um, like it's, as a runner it's gotta uh, be super nice yeah, on the Ariana Grande thing that we did for the BBC, that was on BBC One, so I've even had my name on BBC One, which is really cool. Oh, runners even get... I guess anyone in the staff would, right? I, I was the sole runner on that show, so oh, I wow. got a credit. Whereas on BGT, for example, there are so many of us, we did not get credited. Uh, okay, it's interesting. Um, Feels like they could just write down a couple more names, but, you know, I'm not here to <laughs> <laughs> tell anyone how to do it. Um hey. <laughs> So I only got one more question here before we dive into specifics of your, your Twitch channel as well, um, which is just that you're moving soon, but we kind of already touched on that. Did you? I don't think we had anything else, really. No, for the most yeah, part. we yeah. are we are moving soon. As uh, it's very exciting. I mean, as so much as we find out this Friday, our exact moving date, and it's going to be on or before the 26th of November. So it's going to be within the next two and a half weeks, which is really cool. Oh, that's uh, that's just, very soon. Yeah, so I've just currently taken a break off uh, Twitch and streaming, actually, just until December and until we get everything sorted and moved in, because I have a lot to sort out. And, you know, at this point, every little helps in terms of every evening, every weekend. And, you know, my my main streams tend to be on a Sunday. So, like, you know, my longest one, but I, I don't have the time to do that right the second and then similarly, once we move in, I need to get the internet sorted and set up and everything until I can, because, you know, I might have a dongle right now to stream where I've got awful signal in this particular part in London. Uh, but, you know, I don't know how well an internet dongle is going to do in the in a village in the middle of nowhere where we're moving to. So until I get the actual internet sorted, I'm kind of having to go on a bit of a break. Uh while I organize everything else as well. But it's very exciting. You know, it's, it's going to be our own house. It's a three bed with a garage, a nice garden, our own garden for once. Oh, that's uh, that's going to be nice. Grow some veggies. Yeah, exactly. That's the plan. And we're, um, you know, it's commutable to London. It's a bit of a longer commute, but that's more time to read as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I, just, I just can't wait. It doesn't feel real right now. It does not feel real, but I don't think it will properly 
sink in until we like get those keys. Like I have no shame in saying when our mortgage advisor called us up to say that our mortgage had been approved, I literally broke down. I've never experienced a feeling quite like that. I mean, but that's, that's super awesome. I'm sorry. I I, I would never, I would never have thought that I was, I did not think I was going to react like that, but like they told me and I was just like, shit, really? I've got a mortgage. (laughs) But you know, and bizarre, the bizarre thing is we went from owning, not owning, we went from renting a two bedroom it was really very really, really it was one bedroom but like a one bedroom tiny flat in central london for 1300 pound a month and if you kind of look at your mortgage repayments as your rent i'm having a much larger much better place that is my own that i could do anything i want to and we're paying eight, 800 pound a month wow almost freaking half <laughs> yeah it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So it's it's just the right move. And I think we're there and we're ready. And honestly, I just can't wait. I just want to get in there now. That's uh that's gonna be super sick. Are you gonna do a like a house tour video or anything? I don't know. I'll probably do my setup. So the plan is with the garage. Miss Beast has been kind enough to uh let me I'm gonna convert because it's a really decent sized garage. I'm going to convert two thirds of it into a proper livable space. Like we're going to get plumbing into it and everything. Like we've got to do waterproofing because they don't come fully waterproof, this, that, the other. And that's going to be like my new kind of office slash stream studio, uh, which I've got really big plans for. But that could be a fair bit of money and a fair bit of time until we're actually able to do that. So until then, as I said, it's a three bed house, uh, the single bedroom this beast is taking as her own personal office. Uh, but until we manage to get the garage done, I'm taking the second bedroom as my temporary office slash streaming area. Um, so we won't be getting a bed in there until like a year or whenever, it, however long it takes me to get this garage done. But, you know, when the garage is done, then definitely I'll do a full on tour of it but I don't really know if I want to do like an actual full-on house tour because sometimes you never know. <laughs> no, it's it's funny. I actually, um, a YouTuber I watch called Dead Meat. Do you know them? Um, I don't. Uh, I'm surprised. And the only reason I ask is because it's horror movie content and he's huge. Uh, anyway, he just mentioned anecdotally in a video one time that he wasn't going to do a house tour because, and I, I'm pretty sure I'm quoting here, but it might be a slight paraphrase. He said, I don't need you weirdos having a layout of my house. Well, yeah, I kind of <laughs> yeah. half agree with him. <laughs> like it's I kind of half a pretty agree good with him. point, and I'd never thought of it yeah. that way. But... Like, I'll show, I'll show you guys my, you know, my temporary office space. I'll show you guys the office when it's done, but, like, my stream studio when it's done. But until then, like, yeah, I don't think I'll do a full house tour or anything. Yeah, I don't, I don't Although, like, on that. In my second YouTube channel, you guys will see the kitchen. So there's that. Oh, we'll, we'll go into that here in a second. I've actually got that uh, lined up. So, um, yeah, anything else real quick on that before we dive into your Twitch channel? No, I'm ready to start chatting about Twitch. Awesome. Actually, let's just go ahead and start with your second YouTube channel. Um, or sure. Would, you said second. Now, you do have one currently? Yeah, so I have a Wildebeest Plays channel, which is a uh, 
what would you call it a sister channel to my twitch um i've been which is pretty much not pretty much it is purely mario maker content um i don't i i haven't uploaded onto it for like three months now but I, you know, we'll we'll go into this a bit more, but I am getting a little bit burnt out on Mario Maker, um, <laughs> and you know, I just, in terms of like editing those videos, work has become, as I've mentioned, you know, they're, they're training me to be a junior production manager and things. Like at the minute, I just don't have the time to. I've got a lot of things recorded, but I don't have the time to edit them and things like that. So I've been I've been monopolizing on shorts and stuff on my YouTube. As shorts are the way of the uh, future. Yeah, I mean, they've been great. And I think I've exhausted almost all of my decent Mario Maker Twitch clips on my YouTube now. But, you know, they all do quite well and they've been really good fun. But yeah, I have now created a second channel, which is actually a separate entity to the wildebeest plays brand uh what do you call it it's called the wild aside little play on my name there Um, it is a food channel is the idea of it so miss beast and i we are huge lovers and advocates of food related content on youtube uh so like mikey chen or strictly dumpling who is probably like the top food vlogger in the world at the moment familiar he yeah he he is a big inspo and then in terms of things like cooking and things like that like we love sam the cooking guy we love babish who doesn't love babish i love babish yeah there's a there's a vlogger but he's also a professional food eater food challenger (laughs) whatever you call them food athletes a guy called beard meets food who's british based familiar with him as well yeah Biddy's great uh we, we 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 just love them and you know my ethos with the wilder side is all of these youtubers other than beard meets food all of these youtubers they end up going to the uk and they're just like ah didn't have a good time there the food's not great and i'm just like excuse me you just have not gone to the right places you have not seen what the uk has to offer in terms of food so my ethos for the channel is to take people on a culinary tour of the uk where i'm going to be going to all over the uk to sample and try different foods and show off the amazing restaurants and the amazing cultures and the amazing things that we have around food with it whereas at the same time i'm then going to uh have some cooking related videos but i thought i'd be a bit niche and fun with it where whereas most people do like this is a recipe this is how you make it i'm gonna be like here's a recipe this is how you make it but spoiler alert i've never made this dish before so okay let's see what happens learn together (laughs) yeah actually i like that i've not seen that before yeah, so it's gonna. It's I've got I've got big plans for it. It should be it should be quite fun. We've done um a few shorts for it as a sort of soft launch of the channel, which has um, you know, which yeah I think is quite impressive, especially for YouTube. I've got about 
30 to 35 it's on 53 subscribers right now but i'd say 30 to 35 of them are organic whereas the rest of them came from friends or some of my more loyal twitch supporters um but we've had about 30 to 35 organic subscribers which is really cool uh but my first i've been hard at work on my first official like long form content video and i'm excited to say that should everything go well, there will be a YouTube premiere of it, which I'll post Ooh. in my Discord, maybe your Discord, and a couple of others. Please do. Uh, next Sunday, the, or sorry, this coming Sunday, the 14th. That's uh, my so, birthday! What a present! Oh, hey, hey, there you go. <laughs> so it'll probably be, you know, around 9pm GMT, which I think is like, what, 4ish or something for you? 4 or 5 o'clock? Uh, in your EST time, like uh, but that's that. the current plan. I've got. I was hard at work recording over the weekend. Uh, I've got one more place which I tried to go to this Saturday, just gone, which was unfortunately closed when we went. Uh, even though it was meant to be open, I was quite angry. Uh, but they, I've been messaging them, and they have told me to come along on saturday instead so i'm coming along this saturday for it recording the final bit that i need to record and then i will smash it all together on saturday or sunday and get the premiere ready uh failing that you know it'll be maybe the saturday afterwards or something like that but yeah i'm not giving myself a release schedule with it at the minute i'm just going to do them kind of as and when i can and as and when they come out but going forward when i can and get a better setup and a better rhythm going with it i am aiming to do a video every two weeks so one once every two weeks it will be like food reviews going out and then every two weeks after that it will be like the recipe one that i was talking about and then rinse and repeat that's my kind of plan with it and i'm okay. really 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 excited for it so people can check that out um through your discord and uh, you don't have a custom url on that one yet not right? just yet not just yet as soon as we as soon as we hit 100 subs hopefully we'll be able to get that but well, um, i i didn't know about this so you'll get one more uh i didn't know a, the channel had launched so <laughs> i'll have to find that i will send i'll send soon. you a link later um yeah that's, that's quite interesting i do have one one thing though here which is you said everybody uh does these food tours they go to uh london or uk and they they go the food's not that good uh, is it just possible y'all's food suck like <laughs> no it is not they go to places and they're just like oh it's fish and chips or uh here's a pie and i'm just like guys like i get you're trying to try proper british food but a you haven't gone to the right place to try proper british food and b like you know Say like Mike Chen, for example, he just goes and does a load of barbecue around the States or a load of like, you know, Chinese, Japanese, Korean food. Like, we can do that. We, yeah, we've got all of that. Barbecue like, is, me... is America's food. Well, yes, but he also does a lot of like, here's all of the incredible like, you know, East Asian food and things that we've got over here. That I just want to show how culturally diverse we are and what amazing restaurants the UK does boast and have to offer, not just British based food. Okay. That makes more sense. See, I, I was thinking it was just the, when they were doing it, 
they were uh, no, not, not liking you know, the, you know you know, the I mean. signature dishes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, like, you know, Mike went over to the UK and he was just, I get he was trying to try UK food, but he's just like, generally, genuinely, like most of the places I've been to eat, like they haven't been great. And I'm just like, you just haven't gone to the right ones. Like, I know the kind of food Mike likes. I've been watching him for close to two years now. Like, you just didn't go anywhere good. Just like, go to these places and you'll be laughing. <laughs> so, yeah. It's interesting. That's, that's that's my take on that but you know i mean it's not just going to be that like you know as i say we want to go to south korea we want to go to japan so you know i'd be able to do little mini series of trying out food and stuff over there for example but for my 30th i just got a really cool vlogging camera from miss beast um she did not skimp bless her uh so i've been hard at work having fun recording with that so I'm excited to share the first long form content video with everyone. It might not be the best as I'm getting used to the camera still, but you know, I'm, I will only get better at shooting it. Um, yeah, no, it sounds super awesome. <clears throat> I'm, I'm excited to, to see it come out and I hope that I'm pleasantly surprised and shocked and scared all at the same time. Speaking of being scared, you love horror games. Yes. How are horror games integrating currently into your twitch stream because i know you just so, played something the other day etc we'll, we'll go yeah so we haven't done too many horror games on the channel at the minute but one thing that we have always done is um the supermassive games so supermassive did until dawn uh which is an incredible game uh and then they also have recently done uh the dark pictures anthology uh, essentially they're all story driven games where you know you have a set amount of characters and every single last in, uh, decision and you know text choice you make or quick time event that you hit or miss has an impact on how the game is going to go and you have you know out of your five characters all of them can survive all of them can die two of them could survive and three of them could die there is any number of combinations that could happen within it I thought it would be fun, and this was probably close to a year ago or so, just before the first Dark Pictures came out, to do a Say Nothing, Do Nothing stream of Until Dawn. I remember that. (laughs) Yes, so where, where we see how many people would survive if we miss every quick time event... Uh, we miss and just refuse to make a decision on every decision-based thing, and we choose to remain silent in every single text option and just see who survives. And we have had some hilarious results. I think in Until Dawn, we had one person survive. We did Man of Medan just after that came out. Uh, We had two people survive somehow. Little hope we had one person survive. And uh more recently in the new one house of ashes we did it again and for the first time no one survived everyone died yeah which i've never seen in one of those games before i've never seen everyone die uh so yeah um those are the only real ones i've actually done right now and so far i am looking to integrate and introduce because i have so much fun with them uh every other friday when i come back so every fortnight i'm gonna be doing a scary game is the plan so whether i think i've got a little list of them like i've still got the evil within in its cellophane because i'm too scared to play it by myself um 
I've got uh, Outlast and Outlast 2. I've got Layers of Fear that I want to play. I'm sure you could recommend loads of others to me. The Medium, that new one that's just come out, I want to play that. Like I've I've got an ever-growing list, and I find them really fun. They're quite different to what I do. They're, they're things that I'm too scared to play myself, <laughs> by myself. So what better way to play them than with the twitch community and twitch chat oh that'll that'll definitely be fun um yeah i i could probably think of a couple more you, you named the one that i would like to see you do which is layers of fear uh definitely yeah atmospherically horrifying game <laughs> a lot of people have been saying that so yeah that will be potentially one of the ones i start with um Cool. That'll that'll be fun to look forward to. Um, let's see what else we got here. Just, we're actually getting close to the end here. This has been quite a good talk. We've we've gotten a lot accomplished here. I'm, we've been going for an hour and fifty minutes. I, <laughs> there's there's still probably another thirty left because I know there's yeah. at least one subject here that's uh that's a good talk, um, which is you've run quite a few at this point. Uh, Mario Maker Two contests. Uh, Have just kind of dive into that like the history of it, why it started, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, a big part of the history of it. Do I? And, uh, the very first competition that we ran or that I ran was ran by both myself and Ryan here, uh, our casual beast contest where we, we were both quite avid Mario make streamers at the time. And we just thought it would be a fun way to, uh, <laughs> you know, both get in a few more viewers and you know just do something fun to the community and in a way i like competitions because they're a way to give back to the community as well right yeah um uh, you know you give a set of guidelines you ask them to adhere to those guidelines and then you give actual prizes out well that's how i've always seen as doing a competition anyway you know i have seen other streamers before that have ran Mario Maker contests, but with no prize. And I'm just, and you know, to me, I'm a bit like, well, why would someone compete in a competition with no prize? Like it's, it's, it's nice to have a bit of personal incentive for the person. And that inspires people to make incredible levels and you get like the best and the most out of people if they have that kind of thing to aim towards. I mean, you do get a lot of people that just want to compete for the sake of competing. But I think generally speaking, like, if I'm going to be investing a lot of time into this, I want to give someone some prize and recognition for being as incredible as they have to spend the time in making this thing for me to play, you know? No, that's, that that's, sense. that's definitely actually true. I think we had a similar conversation when we first ran that contest because yeah. we, we were on the same page with that where yeah, to, to pull people's true power out, you have to give them a reason to do it besides bragging rights. Yeah, exactly. So that was really good fun. We did uh, probably the most specifically requiremented. That's not really a it, it was. It was a very here, unique contest. Yeah, a very that... niche contest. We gave people specific <laughs> elements that they had to yeah. incorporate into their levels, and then otherwise they could do what they wanted. So they had to include three or four set items or 
unique course elements and then go crazy but i mean what we got from that competition some of those levels were fantastic it, it was there and, was a lot of complaints about the limitations i remember i'm sorry i know this is were, your talk but, then, but i'm involved in this contest <laughs> oh yeah but then people but, uh, really yeah, pulled through people they did really pulled through. it was one of those things where we, it, necessity is the mother of invention and i think that that contest kind of showed that people were more inventive with the limitations and that's what i wanted out of it what i didn't yeah. want was the constant complaining that the limitations sucked <laughs> Yes. Yes. Which was fine, and it was true. Uh, Retroactively, I probably would not have done it that way, but I still liked Mm -hmm. the end results either way. Sure. And, yeah, I mean, it was great. And then building on that, like, I've done a few more contests, as you said. So Mm -hmm. generally speaking, I have collabed on each contest that I've done. So I think to date I've done four potentially five contests just trying to think about it um i did one with wonderful smashing a from who was of course your guest last week uh we did a christmas contest so people just had to do christmas based levels uh that was really fun uh that was actually last christmas so in the holiday season um well just holiday based levels not christmas based levels but the winner was like someone had created a really tight speed run platformer with different christmas music playing in the background oh that's sick yeah yeah that was really really cool um i did a competition with crad radium uh where we got people to build boss levels oh no i did do five yeah so those are my three collab ones then my first one by myself was a what i called the frustrate sam contest oh yeah Yes, yes, you made a level for this round. I personally uh, enjoyed the hell out of that one. Uh, we made, yes, I, I got people to create a level that would just irritate me. And that, I, I, yeah. So, you know, you, you get your, what we call in the community, your hot garbage or little Timmy based levels. It was basically, you know, spamming enemies, spamming course elements, or what a lot of people were, like yourself, for example, Ryan, really creative in the ways to piss me off. And <laughs> Thank you. it was great. Like some of the levels were impossible. Some of them were very doable, but it was, it was just a heap load of fun doing that. I, but then my most recent one, oh, sorry, you were going to say something? I, all I was going to say is out of all of Mario Maker, your reaction to the realization of what was going on in my level is one of my favorite clips I've ever seen. Uh, it's too funny, isn't I, I, it? I, I, I know this is, this is hyper, hyper personal and specific for the podcast, but it's it's one of the, the best moments I've had on Twitch. Good. Oh, that's lovely to hear. <laughs> it was great fun. It was honestly great fun. And then more recently, I have... Um, I ran my own troll level contest where, you know, it was the response I got from that was phenomenal, to be honest. I had about 25 or 26 entries altogether. That's a lot. In- including some like relatively big names in the Mario Maker troll creator community, which shocked me to the core, to be honest. Uh, so that was really cool. Really, really cool and great fun. I do have plans in the new year for a new contest, and I- I've been telling people what it is, so I don't mind saying it now. Uh, I am going to be hosting a kaizo competition uh 
for my next one. So Kaizo is like a subcategory of Mario level, which involves like something I never knew about before I started streaming Mario, which is essentially the vast amount of tricks you can make Mario do with shells and items and things like that. I'm not the best player. Like, it really makes Mario a really tricky skill-based game. I'm not the best at Kaizo, but I can do enough. So I will be having limitations. So, like, specific tricks which I know I can't do will be in the rules to not include. But I want to make a series of, you know, like Kaizo, decent levels, which will both help me improve. Because, you know, that's a good way to do for these competitions as well. And I know, like a lot of Kaizo creators out there love creating their levels, but they don't often tend to get competitions to showcase them because not everyone can play Kaizo. So that's kind of where I want to go next with my next contest. That'll be interesting. I think you're going to get destroyed. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Offense. You're good. Absolutely. But just, just for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, um, if you think Mario... In, in any form actually but even especially mario maker 2 is just like mario jumps forehead it's easy it is not people are very creative and, and skilled in that game there is a lot of frame specific and, and whatnot tricks that people just like to kind of show shove in there and then go around to twitch streams and, and watch small content creators fail at <laughs> Yeah, so, like, I mean, obviously I'm going to have the limitations, like I say, but that doesn't mean that, like, you know, take a shell jump, for example, that doesn't mean people aren't going to be doing, like, shell jumps into shell surfs, into double shell jumps, into this, into that, into, say, yeah, I'm going to get destroyed. But it's going to be good fun. What is a shell surf? I played how much of that game? What's a shell surf? Sh shell surf is where you, like, just kick the shell forward and then land on top of it. Otherwise, oh. you tend to like land on spikes and stuff. I, I, okay. I, it's usually at the end of levels I've seen it at. It's like the last yeah. jump. That's funny. Um, yeah, that'll be interesting and, to look forward to. I, I haven't made a yeah. Mario Maker level in a while. Maybe I'll, I'll jump back into the, the ring for this. Yo, do it. I don't know when it's going to be announced uh, officially. I need to, obviously, there's a lot of things I need to do in, yeah, terms, of coming up. in terms of my personal setup and things, but. Yeah, I'm going to hopefully be announcing that sometime in the new year, officially. Cool. Uh, everyone look forward to that. Definitely, if you play Mario Maker, get it on the contest. They're, they're a, a heck of a lot of fun, especially when everything's done and made and then the playthroughs start happening of them. Yeah, I think it's a great way to like showcase creators as well, which is what I like about it. Yeah. Awesome. So, you have managed quite a bit of growth on your channel in the last year, at least in my opinion, hitting just under 2,000 followers on Twitch. I am roughly, I think as of right now, I am on 1,719. Okay, so that's just under. <laughs> but yeah. uh, what, what, what would you say you would attribute to this growth? Because plenty of people stream just as much as you and are arguably just as entertaining you know it's just a shame they don't get picked up mm, of course um so it's, it's an interesting question because i definitely in terms of growth i have not seen as rapid growth as i have as i did sorry towards sort of the latter half of this year as i did towards the first half of this year um and 
arguably, I would actually attribute a lot of that to COVID. Um, back then, when we weren't working, I was spending a lot more time streaming, like close to every day. And, you know, I think a lot of people weren't, yes, especially a lot of people who do watch Mario Maker, which as as you know, is basically what I stream. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're a lot of them are kids and they are at school now. So they're not able to watch as much if you were to stream in the day and all of that kind of thing. That might not be the entire reasoning behind it all, but during that rapid growth that I got, I would 100% like, I, I don't necessarily think it's anything that I did specifically. I do think it is slightly a testament to COVID. But then at the same time, yeah, as you say, a lot of people did. Uh, a lot of people did stream as much as I did during that time and may not have seen the growth that I did. Um, it's a hard question. I think it's just a lot of it is just hard work and perseverance. And I like to think I'm really personable with my chat. I like to think I am anyway. I think I might be. I'd agree. And yeah, and I think that's something that, you know, I have seen streamers that yes, they sadly might not have as many views or follows as other streamers, and they are literally just sat there in silence playing the game, barely saying anything to chat, and, you know, that's not going to get you a community built up necessarily if you're not engaging them. So I'd majorly attribute it maybe to how I engage with my chat. Like, I very much try to consider myself like, I'm not family friendly, but I also try to be family friendly. Like I say things like fudge instead of the other word. And, you know, I, I try and keep the swearing to a minimum. That doesn't mean I don't occasionally swear, but I think there is, especially in something like Mario Maker, there is a very big kind of want and love for family-friendly streamers and i think a lot of people do appreciate it when coming to a stream and the streamers not cussing and swearing all over the place um and you know i've had a lot of people come in and actually thank me for that so interesting potentially partly due to that although i do have a very funny story on that if you would like to hear it yeah absolutely please i i had a chap come in once and i feel awful for this i feel absolutely awful for this but nevertheless it happened i had a chap come in once and he was just like hey could you play my son's level like he's just made a level and he'd really like someone to play it and i'm like yeah absolutely i'd more than more than happy play his level and he went are you family friendly and i was like yeah i try to be like generally speaking i'd say i'm family friendly and he was like great that's good to hear hit the follow button and i was like oh thank you so much literally five seconds later i was playing this really hard level something dumb happened and i said the f word insanely loud as like <laughs> out of just sheer annoyance and pain the second i told this guy i was family friendly and he literally suddenly the follower account went down by one again and i never heard from him again <laughs> and yeah, I felt actually, awful for that. i'm stomach laughing that was that's really funny dude <laughs> literally five seconds after i told him not i just went 
Uh, oh, yeah. that's so good. No, I, <laughs> I love it. I feel shit. bad to that for the day, but you know, it happened. But um, so, I would potentially attribute it to that and also viewer levels. People love viewer levels. Like, they do. There's no getting around that. People love the fact that, yeah, and I pretty much at that point, I solely have been playing viewer levels and when I really got the growth up. And I think people just love you playing something that they created and you know i get it now because i've started making some levels myself and i love watching people play my levels so i really really get that so i think you know partly that is something that attributes to what growth i've had as well um maybe well following up on that do you think that sticking to mostly one game and platform i.e nintendo because you do stretch out a little bit in there um has helped that I mean, yes and no. Um, I think there are benefits to doing it, but then there are so also negatives to doing something like that. Uh, to the point where, as I mentioned earlier, I am getting a bit of burnout on Mario Maker. Like, I, I love the game. Do not get me wrong. I adore the game, and, you know, I will always, so long as I'm a Twitch streamer, like, I have a lot to attribute to Mario Maker and how it has helped me grow and become known by anyone and create a community as a streamer. But on the flip side of that, I feel like, you know, a lot of the time you occasionally do feel like you're a bit of a viewer level monkey in that sense. (laughs) It's a good way to put it. Like, yeah, like, you do get a lot of people, and I don't mind it. I don't mind it at all. But you do get people that solely come in just to see your level or you play their level. And then if you try and do anything else, even on Mario Maker, if you try and do some endless mode, if you try and do this, if you try and do that, like they 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 will never come to those streams. They will only come to a viewer level stream. And sometimes that's a bit disheartening because you're like, oh, so you're not actually here for me. Uh, which is fine, is fine, each to their own, but, like, it can be rough at times. So, I've kind of forgotten the original question. It's just that did did sticking to to Mario, well, not necessarily Mario, but, like, one game, which in this case is Mario, uh, or a, a platform, did that help your channel? I would say yes, it helped my channel. Uh, but... There are negatives to doing it, um, but yeah, no, that's, that's, that's definitely true. Burnout is a huge thing. I mean, just anecdotally, most people—not everybody, but almost everybody I know—who started on Mario Maker does not hardly play it at all anymore. They just it, viewer level monkey is uh, that's what I want to call it now because that really is how it feels sometimes yeah Yeah. don't get me wrong I love my viewer level streams and I still do and I will never give up my viewer level streams but like sometimes you don't want to play viewer levels and on those occasions when you don't you know it's you I've got a core community which are great and they'll always show up but like yeah it actually touches on if I may from your last podcast which really resonated with me and I just quite like to mention this quickly like smashing said kind of similar that you know 
a lot a, a bit was to attribute to some of the Mario Maker that he was playing, but you know, he wasn't necessarily getting as much joy from it. So he just tried to think like, okay, let's just do things for me and play things which I know I'm going to really love and enjoy. So I have now taken that mindset and I'm trying to really attribute that mindset to myself where I love Mario Maker. I love Mario Maker viewer levels, but you know, if I'm going to play something else, be it Mario or not, if people aren't there, that's fine. That's fine. I just want to do something that I'm doing that I'm enjoying and having a great time with the people that are there at the time. That's awesome. I mean, it's, it's definitely, you know, part of the point of this is it's a hobby first. Part of the point of the podcast is, yeah. you know, anyone who's a career is too, too good for us. So we don't take them, but uh, <laughs> no, it's a, uh, it, it's a hobby and it needs to be. And that's um, yeah, actually sorry, something. I didn't mean to start like slagging off Mario maker. That's not what I'm trying to do. I love it, but I just like do want to get across what I mean, because that's partly what, as you were saying, what this is for as well. Like one of the reasons why we're here and talking about this, like, I guess that is a bit of a thing that I do want to just get off my chest a bit and just, yes, I love Mario Maker, but there are limits to how much Mario Maker I can play, no matter how much people want me to always play Mario Maker. Just took the words out of my soul. (laughs) Yeah. It's wonderful. Um, yeah, so I just have a couple outro questions just as a, a general thing for you. Have you had anything else before we just do these last couple wrap-ups? Uh, no, I think I'm good. Okay, well, the first one, um, it doesn't have to be a big, long answer or anything. I mean, you can make it if you want to be, but uh, just as a small streamer, what would you say is one of the biggest hurdles you've overcome? Either something that's a, a daily challenge or maybe like a big event that happened. Um, ooh, I would say sometimes one of the hardest things, but I'm much better at it now, is the odd troll that you do get coming into the stream. And I don't mean just like, you know, if in terms of Mario Maker, someone coming and sending a troll level or something, but no, like people that come in and are, horrendous to you and your community for no reason and especially like as a small streamer when you may not have that consistent mod support for example it can be tricky when you're then trying to deal with it yourself yeah Um, interrupts the flow yeah exactly so you know there there are there are there have been a few occasions where that has happened and you know it does kill the stream and your flow and put you in a sour mood but at this point now as well i've kind of like hardened myself to it and if that happens and if that comes in then you know i am able to look past it and not let it get to me and you know that's partly due to the support of the fantastic community and things that i've built up that we all kind of now gang up on a bully if a bully comes in, you know, which is quite nice. Whereas initially, you know, you aren't able to do that, but I'm, I'm quite proud of the fact that I am at a point now where if someone does come in and try and says something about me or the stream or the game or whoever, I can just kind of very much brush it off. That's, I think that's good. They that's always say, important, 
I think it's an important thing for people to try and do as well as small streamers. Like you are always going to get some of these people that come in at times and it's never pleasant, but like as long as you deal with it in a nice and grown up way. And as long as you just kind of understand and accept that you are going to get people like this on the internet, you are on a public internet platform as a streamer, like this thing is get this kind of thing will inevitably happen to probably all of us at some point, but just try not to let it get to you and you'll be fine. Yeah. They always say, you know, Oh, you have to have thick skin and it's true. But the, the problem is they don't tell you what you have to have thick skin for or how, especially as a small streamer, how infrequently you have to have it. So building it up is actually harder than it sounds. Yes. Cause you'll just be coasting yes. for like a week and then someone will come in and just act a fool and <laughs> you're just not prepared for it at least initially yeah exactly i think it was a very much a initial shock yeah to kind of happen uh but you know if just if it happens try not to let it get to you and i think that is something that i'm quite proud of myself and my mods and my community and everything for the should we get that you know is dealt with swiftly and appropriately and it doesn't get to me and we just kind of look back on it now and just go oh that was funny that that happened wasn't it whereas initially <laughs> it was just a bit like oh I'm, I'm i'm just done i can't deal anymore after that guy came in you know yeah it it definitely gets easier over time um well that that a little bit leads into my next question Ever, ever so lightly, but just the is the last question. I always want to point this out that this question is actually uh, my favorite of the whole thing, and will always be. And it's it's the core question that I thought one day, which made me think of doing this podcast. But the question is, what's a piece of advice as a streamer that you would give to somebody who is unable to currently break the zero to two viewer curse? I would say that this comes down to. Again, think about the reason why you're streaming. Are you streaming, you know, if you're streaming as a hobby and just to have fun, then take it like that. It doesn't matter how many people you've got in your stream. Um, and it, and you know, it, it will happen. I would, I've always said, if I have small streamers come into my stream, which I do quite a lot, and they ask me this kind of thing, same advice I always give them is just keep doing what you love. And I would always say, don't necessarily pander and break the content that you want to do don't do things for you don't do things that you want you think that other people will want to see if you're not going to get any enjoyment out of it and i think that if you maintain that ethos and people can see that you are really enjoying what you're doing and having a great time doing it then they will eventually come it could take a while it could take months it could take weeks you never know but provided you are enjoying yourself and you are having a great time doing what you're doing i think people will eventually come it's that's a and oh sorry go ahead i i just think like it is a slog streaming is a slog like it is something is never going to happen overnight but like as long as you can try and avoid paying too much attention to exactly how many people are in there at any point in time, then 
things will inevitably get better. As I say, if you're enjoying yourself, people will see you're enjoying yourself and more people will come is what I was. No, that's, that's a really wise answer. And I, I like it a lot. Um, and, and I agree completely. So, um, yeah, if there's anything else you want to touch on a subject that you maybe thought of or, or anything that you wanted to hit real quick before we wrap up. No, I think I'm good, but just a big thank you for doing this. And, uh, I do I do just want to say and just reiterate again, like I know I may have gone off on a tangent a bit earlier. I love <laughs> everyone in my community that I have met from Mario Maker, which is predominantly the core of what I do. Be that if they only come in to watch me play their viewer levels or if they're there for anything else I do, Mario Maker related or not. I love everyone that has come in and I am so thankful for the entire community that we have built. And I think we built up a really strong, solid community that supports each other, looks out for each other, this, that, the other. I know I got into a bit of a <laughs> eh, Mario maker earlier, but please don't let that take away from the fact of how much I appreciate the game, everyone that I've met from it. And yeah all i will say is i do once i come back to streaming in december i do have some big plans for both the channel and the content and everything uh so please do watch out for that and i look forward to coming back to streaming and seeing everyone again awesome we can look forward to that announcement here you said in december um so that, that'll be good anyway so i guess that's it uh, if if there's you said there's nothing else then yeah no thank you so much for coming on today and giving such insight into your career and, and your life and your, your uh your everything really so I, I really appreciate all the uh all the openness honestly, you've, you've given today honestly it was my pleasure um yeah so anyone who's listening guys if if you've listened this far you owe this uh, to our guests here today, go check out his channel, twitch.tv slash wildebeestplays, with the E's being threes. Uh, it's it's W-I-L-D-3-3 B-E-A-S-T plays. I got that right? W-I-L-D-E B-3-3-S-T I have it literally right here and I somehow messed it up in my head. Okay. W-I-L-D-E-B-3-3-S-T I... It's 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 just the pressure in the moment. Trust me, I know how to spell it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, teasing. everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, the podcast comes out every two weeks, so go ahead and follow it on your, your listening platform of choice. And uh, the website's not up yet, but you can send me an email if you have any feedback at, at ryan at behindthestreamer.com. And uh, yeah, there's nothing else. If, if you yourself are a streamer or you know somebody that you watch or is a friend of yours that you think would be good fit for an interview, reach out to me. Uh, at that email and I will be happy to to make the move forward if you're too afraid to ask them so yeah that's pretty much it guys thanks so much for listening and thanks uh, Willoughby's for coming on for this interview my pleasure alright bye